Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone again for those who were listening to me earlier. This is uh, Kennard Brown again, your host for the Merciful Service of God uh, Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, February 13, 2010. Again, I apologize for those who were listening to me earlier. Had something happen that doesn't happen too often. Internet connection went off, and um, they finally fixed it here, so... I'm able to do this rebroadcast, and hopefully I can get this Bible study done today. And this will be a two-hour Bible study on a topic that uh, I'm sure that many of you are interested in, how to have true joy, joy that really lasts. Now, as I explained in last week's program, we must think like God, and once we think like Him, we will be able to have true joy. And let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 7, to understand this. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, Let's go back here in verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, what does it mean to be unrighteous? Well, first of all, for us to understand what it means to be unrighteous, we have to understand what the Bible reveals what righteousness is. So let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Beginning in, in 172. Psalm 119, verse 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So that's, what's unri- that's what righteousness is. So when we go back to Isaiah 55, verse 7, where it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, it's referring to a person that does not have any desire to keep all the commandments of God. So that's what an unrighteous man or woman is. And he's stating that uh, we need to forsake our wicked thoughts, which is not having a desire to want to obey the commandments. And... He's comparing those thoughts with his thoughts, which is, of course, keeping his commandments. That's how we think like God when we keep his commandments. Okay, now, the entertainment industry has greatly contributed toward a person's lack of interest in thinking like God. And I proved that last week in my program, the the previous program, which is entitled How to Think Like God. 
because we have to, again, learn how to think like God to have true joy. Now, looking at movies, looking at music videos, looking at TV, playing video games, there's nothing wrong with all those things. Well, I don't know, music, music videos. I don't know if there's too many music videos that don't have women dancing around gyrating or men or, or whatever, but uh, if you can find a music video that's decent, that's great. you know. But the majority of music videos that I have seen uh, over the years, and you know, I don't look at MTV anymore unless I'm evaluating how wicked things have gotten uh, recently, um, most of those videos are designed to destroy your brain, basically, because it's all based on sex and, and, and more sex and more sex. But anyway, those four areas, movies, music videos, TV, and video games, has really done a great job uh, to cause us not to really have an interest in the true God of the Bible. And I want to emphasize that the true God of the Bible, not the kind of God that uh, we would like to create, but the actual one that is spoken of here in the Bible. So anyway, I want to get to how the TV affects your brain because I don't think many people really understand this fact that the television affects your brain in a major way, in a major way. Now, I'm going to quote something from TV Free, The Awful Truth About Television. This is found on pages uh, 26 to 27. It's going to be a shorter quote than I quoted last time. But this is very significant. Uh, it says, according to a scientific American study, survey participants commonly reflect that television has somehow absorbed or sucked out their energy, leaving them depleted. They report that they have more difficulty concentrating after viewing than before. Now, other studies have linked passivity to the left side of the brain shutting down. The left brain is primarily responsible for logical analysis and thought. So the left part of your brain is primarily responsible for logical analysis and thought. In the Mulholland experiment, 10 children watched their favorite television program while the researchers monitored their brainwave patterns. The researchers expected that the children would show a preponderance of beta waves. This would indicate that they were involved in responding to their favorite programs. Instead, they stayed in alpha. They just sat back. They stayed almost the whole time in alpha. That meant that while they were watching, they were not reacting, not orienting, not focusing, just spaced out, says Dr. Eric Piper. Now, similar in the early 1980s, researchers in Australia found that the left brain sort of went to sleep once TV was switched on, but the right brain was busy storing information in its memory bank. Scandalously, no one was able to follow upon on these experiments, and I'm quite sure the reason why is because they don't want to discourage people from looking at television. After all, uh, major advertisers advertise on television, and they want people to look at their ads so they can buy their stuff. But anyway... Researchers could not get the funding, aside from a few early experiments in the United States and a few more in the 1970s and early 1980s in Australia. The neurophysiology, of, which is a name for the, the science of how the brain works, of watching television has been relatively unexplored. So the neurophysiology of watching television has been relatively unexplored, even though the experiments discovered clear and frightening effects clear and frightening effects. Furthermore, the Scientific American researchers found that after they turned off the television, people's moods were about the, 
same or worse than before they turn the television on. What this means is that television may provide a quick fix, just a quick fix, for emotional difficulties, but it lasts only as long as you are watching TV. If you are trying to avoid painful feelings, those feelings will return immediately when you turn off the television. What these studies show is that the right side of the brain may be dutifully absorbing all the images from your television screen. But the left side is lulled into a stupor by the television's flicker. This makes analysis of the images difficult. It also makes it difficult to remember exactly what you have been watching. Furthermore, the research suggests that the left side of the brain may remain in the stupor even after you turn the television off. This, is, this has profound implications for watching news and other forms of educational TV. At best, TV learning is comparable to sleep teaching. That may be useful co for commercials, at least for the companies that produce them, as I stated earlier. However, for subjects that require analysis and careful thought, again, let me underscore this and highlight this. However, for subjects that require analysis and careful thought, the television is virtually useless or, as Solomon would say, meaningless. Vain, vanity. It is more effective to read books. Let me underscore this again. It is more effective to read books and newspapers than uh, to learn about world events. So, in, in other words, it is more effective to read books and newspapers and learn about world events than to watch it on a screen. Now, it is effective to watch about world events, but she she's stating here in her uh, wonderful PDF document here, it is more effective, it is more effective to read books and newspapers to learn about world events than to watch it on the screen. So, if you're curious about the content of uh, this uh, publication, please, I encourage you and implore you to get this document. It is totally free by going to www.trashyourtv.com. I love it. <laughs> www.trashyourtv.com. All right. How many minutes I have left here? I have one hour and 49 minutes. So let's get to the uh, heart of this Bible study here. How to have true joy. Let's turn to Proverbs 12, verse 20. Proverbs 12, verse 20. It says, There deceit, rather. Proverbs 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. But to the counselors of peace is joy. So if you're a person that loves peace, then you're going to love joy. And peace has something to do with God's law. If we turn to Psalms 119, verse 165. It says, Great peace, not little peace, but great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So you have to really, really love God's law for that to occur. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15. Proverbs 21, verse 15 states, It is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. So it's stating here that those who are, are, are righteous and want to keep God's commandments, they're going to want to do it. And that's going to bring automatic joy to you. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24, states, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And, you know, I am because uh, Kennard Jr., he's a righteous uh, son, and I do rejoice uh, daily 
that he obeys God and, and he obeys me in most cases. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. And yes, I, I, I can definitely confirm that. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 26. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 26 states, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom. So when a man or woman is good in his sight, he gives us wisdom and knowledge and joy. So God even gives us joy. But to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. In other words, uh, for those who are wicked and don't care about helping people and so forth, uh, then he says that he's going to give that wealth to, to someone who would care. So that, that's just the way it is there. So I highlighted five, I'm sure there's more, but these are five areas that um, I noticed while I was studying this topic on how to have true joy. The first area that we need to, to focus on is focusing on Jerusalem and the temple. The second is repenting and obeying the Torah of God. Third is be willing to sacrifice and endure problems and persecutions. Four, to enjoy the fruit of our labors. And, and five, uh, music and sending, incorporate singing rather, music and singing to incorporate that into our lives, particularly music and singing that points toward the Almighty God. So let's go over the first point here, which is uh, focusing on Jerusalem and the temple. Now I mentioned in, in, uh, earlier today that evangelicals, uh, they I know some do and some don't, but a lot of um, churches in this country, they don't focus on the physical temple in Jerusalem as much as they should. I know some of them feel that there won't be a temple built, and some do. It's kind of, kind of divided on that. But anyway, Psalm 48, verse 2 states this. Psalm 48, verse 2. It says, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And verse 1 states, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. So we know that's referring to uh, Jerusalem. Let me turn to Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 15. I just want you to notice there that God feels and states that Jerusalem is the joy. It should be the joy of the whole earth as far as physical structure, as far as the city, as far as geography, as far as geography is concerned. All right, Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 2, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 15. It states, All that passed by clapped their hands at thee, they hissed and wagged their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? So right there is, is definitive proof there that Jerusalem is and should be the joy of the whole earth. It should be the joy of the whole earth. And, and why will it be the joy of the whole earth? Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 2 to find out. Isaiah chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days, which are the days that we're living in today, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. So all people will be attracted to the Temple Mount, which uh, the mountain of the Lord's house is referring to, Mount Moriah, 
That's where the, uh, the, the Temple Mount is located in Jerusalem presently, as I'm speaking. Verse 3, And many shall go, so many people shall go, and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, or the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, and this is what will happen because of that. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall correct or rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, which will be used for agriculture. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So that's what's going to happen when people start obeying God. There will not be any more wars. Look forward to that. Psalm 137. Psalm 137, starting in verse 5. It says, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So, again, Jerusalem, as far as uh, geography, cities, far as a physical structure is concerned, Jerusalem and the temple of God, which is in Jerusalem, should be our chief joy, should be our chief joy. So that's what the uh, Bible indicates here. Now, when uh, you notice that all people will be drawn to Jerusalem, that, that's an assembly. And that brings us joy, too, when everyone, everyone is worshiping God. That brings everyone that's involved great joy. And Second John, Second John, chapter one, verse twelve. It says, "Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full." So that's another way to have joy is by congregating or fellowshipping with people that believe in the true God of the Bible. Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-five states this: "Not forsaking." Well, actually, in verse 24, let me uh, read the context here. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we should be inspiring each other to do good works. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So that's what we need to be doing is uh, for those who do believe in the true God of the Bible and don't, don't believe that the Old Testament has been thrown away in the garbage can and believes all the words of God, we should be fellowshipping and we should be visiting each other and, and celebrating the, the, the holy days that are revealed in Leviticus chapter 23. And I just wanted to quote something here to give you an example. When you do celebrate uh, God's holy days, it brings great joy. In Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 30. I'm just going to read a small segment of this here. Okay, and this this when you read this this whole chapter is referring to the uh, Passover and then the uh, the festival of unleavened bread. So in verse 21 it says, and the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem, in Second Chronicles chapter 30 verse 21, and the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord. Day by day, signing, or singing, rather. <laughs> Praise the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. And I'm going to get into how music plays a role also 
and um, creating joy. Verse 22, and Hezekiah spake comfortably. He was, he was one of the righteous kings of, of Judah. There are actually ten of them, and Hezekiah was one of them. Unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and that's what the Levites or the Torah teachers do. We, we teach the, the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. A peace offering was an offering that was shared uh, among the people. Whenever you um, went, went and gave uh, an offering, it was shared among the priests and, and among the people. In verse 23, it states, And the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept the other seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep, and the princes gave to the congregation, or assembly, a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves or set themselves apart or or um, set themselves holy, set themselves up, set apart. That's what sanctified means. Verse 25, And all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. So David and then the Solomon's time. That was the only time they compared to this. And Why were they happy? Because they were obeying God. They were keeping the holy days of God, which uh, many Christians think that are done away with, which they are not. Okay, so... Point number two, point number one was focus on Jerusalem and the temple, how to have true joy. Number two, oh, let me read another scripture here in Psalm, Psalm 137, Psalm 137, starting in verses five to six, it says, uh, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning, and if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So again, as far as geography is concerned, as far as a city, as far as a physical structure, an assembly of God's people, the believers of God, Jerusalem should be our chief joy. Now, of course, I know many of us can't fly to Jerusalem, but we should always have Jerusalem on our mind. We should seek to study the history of Jerusalem, we should be keep keeping up with what's going on in Jerusalem. Uh, we, we should uh, study the Jews. Uh, remember that our Lord and Savior is a Jew. And if you really truly want to know him, you must understand uh, the fact that he's a Jew and you should get into Jewish history and, and study the, uh, the Jews. Also, you can study the temple structure and, uh, by going to the following website, www.templeinstitute.org. That's www.templeinstitute.org, and uh, he has many different types uh, of free programs or videos that you can listen to and look at, and he has many articles or Bible studies on the temple and the importance of the temple. And remember that God has commanded the Jews to build the temple. Uh, this is found in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And that commandment applies today, and in 1967 they did not follow this commandment to build a temple. And that's the reason why things are, are happening not to their liking, because 
uh, of their refusal at, up to this point of not wanting to build the temple. However, those in the Temple Institute, they are doing all they can to follow this commandment in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, but they are limited, of course, by the government. They can't just go and just start building the temple without their approval. So something obviously will be happening soon to initiate uh, the construction of the temple, the prophesied third temple to be built so that the abomination of desolation that is spoken of by Yeshua or Jesus to occur in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Okay, so the second point here is that we must repent. Repent means to change and cleanse your mind and obey the Torah, the doctrines of God, and the teachings and commandments of God. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51, starting in verse 7, it states this. It says, Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is a herb that cleanses your body. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Again, God is uh, giving you that joy to, to feel joy and gladness. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, Restore unto me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So, this is a great prayer by David. This is a prayer that he prayed to God after he committed the abominable adultery with Bathsheba, and he was asking that God would cleanse his mind and give him joy. And that's how you have joy, your joy, to have true joy, your mind must be cleansed of wickedness, to have true joy. Psalm 5, verse 1. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Again, it has something to do with obeying him. That's how you're able to have long-lasting joy. Psalm 16, verse 11, it says that thou, thou will show me the path of life. So God needs to show us the, the, the way to life, the path of life. And thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, that's the difference between pleasures that you get for sin and pleasures forevermore. You'll always have pleasures forevermore when you do it God's way, but there is pleasure in sin, and uh, let me look this scripture up. I, I quoted it earlier today. I need to find it again, because there is pleasure in sin. And many people think that because it feels good, then it must be good, or if it looks good, then it must be good. Not necessarily, just like the deception of Avatar that I uh, referred to last week. It looks all nice, but you have to look between all the looking nice to see whether or not it is nice. And you can't be fooled by that by how something looks. So, so right here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, 
Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 says that they all might be damned, as in the King James Version, that word, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And it's possible to have pleasure in unrighteousness. So just because you have pleasure doesn't mean it's always right, and people get that mixed up. They get that mixed up. Committing adultery, maybe it is pleasurable. Uh, it was pleasurable to David, but look what happened after he committed adultery. God had uh, decided to uh, allow his son not to live because of that, and he, and he also said that his line would be cursed, and it was. All because of that pleasurable act of committing adultery. So we have to be very careful about allowing our what 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 we feel to justify our actions. And Romans one verse thirty two states this who knowing that the judgment of God, they that which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So again, pleasure you can have pleasure in sin, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. You, you don't have everlasting pleasure. As it states here in Psalm 15, verse 11, it says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's no pleasures forevermore with wickedness, because if you continue to be wicked, you're not going to live. <laughs> so, according to the Bible. Okay. So... I think I quoted Psalm, no, I didn't, Psalm 16, verse 11. Now, yes, I did. Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 11. It says, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Again, when you're glad in the Lord, you, you're being righteous, as is stating here, and uh, you're going to shout for joy, and you're going to have this, this feeling of being happy when you're obeying God. Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13 states, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, being joyful has something to do with uh, having peace, and you have peace by believing and obeying God. Third John, one verse four, the third epistle of John, one verse four. Actually, it's just one chapter here. So, it states here, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So, walking in the truth brings joy. It brings joy. And what is the truth? Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 142. It says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. So the law, the Torah, the teachings of God, all the commandments, because that's a part of the teachings of God, is the truth. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 20, states, But he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he has not rooted himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or problems or persecution arise, because of the word, by and by he is offended. So that's <clears throat> a lot of people are in that situation. They, they hear the truth of God. Uh, they're happy about it, but when they have problems, they, they forget about it. And you can't, can't, you can't allow life to do that to you. First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8 states this. It says, Whom having... Oh, actually, let me start in verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, and whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So it's possible to have joy uh, by not seeing the Lord. But one day we all know we will see him. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. So we are to seek the things that are above. We are to seek the things that are above, not below. Uh, our whole attitude ought to be focusing on things that are above in heaven, not on the earth. And in verse 2, I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible verse. It says, focus your, minds, focus your minds on the things above, not on the things here on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. And it tells us, uh, therefore, to put to death the earthly parts of your nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, and greed, which is a form of idolatry. For it is because of these things that God's anger, which I'm going to hopefully focus on next week, uh, how to understand anger the way God understands it and defines it in the Bible. But it, for it is because of these things that God's anger is coming on those who disobey him. All right, so. In Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 17, states, let the kingdom of God, or for the kingdom of God, rather, says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And then Micah 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8 states, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And he wants us to obey, obey him. He, also, he wants us to love mercy or compassion. He wants us to care about other people. That also will bring joy to you when you do that, when you care about other people. Not just about you and yourself and I. You know, you have to care about other people. In the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, human being, you have already 
been told what is good, what Adonai the Lord demands of you, no more than to act justly, love grace, and walk in purity with your God. And that's all he expects of us. He just wants us to obey. He wants us to obey. And to have compassion and mercy toward our fellow human beings. Proverbs 8, verse 13. says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, colon, continue to thought, pride and arrogancy, and an evil way, and a forward mouth do I hate. So that's a part of having the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And here's a warning in Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the context of repenting and obeying the Torah of God. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting in verse 45. It says, Moreover, all these curses, what curses? The curses that's described here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Remember, there's blessings for keeping the law of Moses or the law of God, and there are cursings. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it outlines the blessings first and then the cursings. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed, because you, because thou hearkens not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his statutes and his statutes which he commanded thee. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore thou shalt serve thy enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until, ye, until he hath destroyed thee. So that's the consequences of not obeying God and not having joy. You'll be cursed. And he wants us to, to worship him in the context of, of being very happy about it. Not because you have to. You should do it because you want to. All right, point number three. I went over two points so far. Number one is focus on Jerusalem and the temple to have true joy. Number two, repent and obey the Torah of God to have true joy. Number three, be willing to sacrifice and endure problems and persecutions. This is a very important one here that I want to cover. Because I think this is one that people don't really want to focus on too much. Uh, people... Some people, they, they just get into, I think it's more people than not, they really think believing in God means everything is okay, I'll have no problems, and it'll be clean sailing from here. And that's not true. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. Believe me, I know it's not true. <laughs> Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It states, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we need to count it all joy when we fall into various temptations. And I know that's very hard to do that, but the Bible commands us to do so. It commands us to count it all joy that we go through various temptations and problems. So that's something that uh, I know I need to work on, and 
I'm sure that you do too, as far as uh, counting it all joy when we go over various. That word joy in original Greek means cheerfulness, delight. So we need to, I guess, celebrate when we're having problems. So that's what he wants us to do. First Peter, First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It says, Beloved, think it, not a, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So don't be surprised when, when problems occur. That's what this is implying. Verse 13, But rejoice insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. So we need to partake of his sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Let me read this in a easier version here, clear version. First Peter, chapter 4. First Peter, chapter 4, verse 13, in the complete Jewish Bible version. Rather, to the extent that you should... Share the fellowship of the Messiah's sufferings. Rejoice, so that you will rejoice even more when his Shekinah, or glory, is revealed. If you are being insulted because you bear the name of the Messiah, how blessed you are. For the spirit of the Shekinah, that is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Verse 15. Let none of you suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in other people's business. But if anyone suffers for being messianic or a believer, let him not be ashamed, but let him bring glory to God by the way he bears his name. Verse 17. So it says, For the time has come for the judgment to begin. It begins with the household of God, and if it starts with us, what will be the outcome be, or what will the outcome be for those who are disobeying God's good news? If the righteous is barely delivered, where will the ungodly and sinful end up? So saying the righteous will be barely delivered. Verse 19. So let those who are suffering according to God's will and trust themselves to a faithful creator by continuing to do what's good. So that's very important to understand there. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, Where we're seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, so he had great joy in doing this, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, that not you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Luke 14, verse 33. Luke chapter 14, verse 33 states, So likewise, whosoever he be, of you that forsake of not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So if you've got something like extra assets or so forth, we must be willing to sacrifice those things for God. We must would be willing to sacrifice our wealth for God if if, if uh, the time comes that we need to do that 
or we get into a situation where uh, we would uh, need to do that. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man has found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buys that field. So again, we must be willing to sacrifice uh, for the word of God and living God's way of life. But we shouldn't have lots and lots of wealth stacked up in barns, as Luke chapter 12 reveals, and don't care about giving that to other people. Because when we don't give to other people, then we don't give to God. And when we give to other people, we're giving to God, as Matthew chapter 25 reveals. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he wants to live forever. So he said, What should I do? Verse 17, And he said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. So if you want to live forever, he says, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt not do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when you understand Jewish background, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's a summation of all the commandments. So he's not telling you that you don't need to only keep one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's not saying that all you need to do is keep six commandments and forget the rest. Uh, love thy neighbor as yourself means all the commandments. Verse 20. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What do I lack? And Jesus said, Well, let me turn to Galatians 5 to prove that point about loving your neighbor. There's a scripture that says all the commandments are summed up in that one commandment. Galatians 5, verse 14, says, For all the law of the Torah is fulfilled in one word, even in this, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All right, so that's the summation of all the commandments, and that covers all the commandments. But to, to understand how to love your neighbor as you love yourself, all those commandments are outlined in the Bible. So anyway, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 19, the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What do I lack? Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If you will be perfect or complete, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And that's what he wants us to do, build treasure in heaven, not on the earth. Verse 22, But when the young man heard heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he didn't want to give up his great possessions. And that's what Christ was asking him to do, to give up his great possession, his wealth, his access, his excess, rather. Verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 25, When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, 
Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's the future responsibility of the twelve apostles. They will be ruling over each tribe of Israel. Soon, it appears. Verse, 25, uh, verse 29. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 28. States, Then Peter said, Lo, we have left and, and followed thee. This is the same situation, but in a different, uh, it's worded differently. Luke chapter 18, verse 20. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left and, and followed thee. We have left all and followed thee. Verse 29. And he said unto thee, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. So that's God's promise. That if you put him first, you're going to receive a lot of blessings. That's what he's stating. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 22. It says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye then that day, and leap for joy. So we're supposed to leap for joy when we get persecuted. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So he's telling us to rejoice for joy when we're persecuted, when we Suffer for righteousness' sake. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Sacrifice also involves giving and sharing your resources with your fellow human being. Hebrews 9, verse 14. says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, or how you think, from dead works to serve the living God. So we have to be very important about that. We have to learn how to serve the living God, and we do that by what we do, not what we say. As uh, James, let's turn to James here. James chapter 1, it says in verse 22, it says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So, so you have to be a doer. You have to be a doer. So I'm trying to find the scripture. Oh, here we go. Uh, James 2, verse 14 states, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man says he has faith and hath not works? Can faith save him or trust save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needed to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will 
show thee my faith by my works. It says, Thou believe that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O man, or vain man, that faith without works is dead? So he's telling you that faith without works is dead. That's very important to understand that. In 1 John 3, verse 16, similar to John 3, verse 16, and it's talking about the same thing. First uh, John 3, verse 16, Hereby receive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, or, or, or for common believers. Verse 17, For whosoever hath this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So he's saying that individuals like this uh, that don't want to help their fellow brethren, how can the love of God be in them? Verse 18, is the point I want to make here. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Truth we understand as being God's commandments. Okay, so let's turn to, I just wanted to point out here that I quote this scripture in Hebrews 9, I don't think I did. Yes, I did, by purging our conscience. Now, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So that's what he wants us to do as far as repenting. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And he says, uh, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So that's what he's telling us here. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 29. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. It says, And seek not ye what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Let me read this in a clearer version here. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 29. It says, in other words, don't strive after what you will eat. It's in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Luke 12, verse 29. In other words, don't strive after what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't be anxious. And God doesn't, you know, that's important, but he doesn't want us to focus so much on that. Verse 30. For all the pagan nations, or those are nations that don't have God in their lives, and the world set their hearts on these things. I just mentioned that. He doesn't want us to set our minds on that. Like that's the most important thing. Because it isn't. Your father knows that you need them too. Rather seek his kingdom and, the, and these things will be given to you as well. And then he states in verse 32. Have no fear little flock. Those true believers are little. Um, when you compare the true believers with the rest of the, uh, of the believers in the world. And of other religions. Have no fear little flock. For your Father has resolved to give you the kingdom. 
He commands each and every believer. The following. Luke 12, verse 33. Sell what you own and do tzedakah. In other words, do charity. Make for yourselves purses that don't wear out, riches in heaven that never fail, where no burglar comes near and where no mouth steals or, or no moth destroys. So he's telling us, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version, sell what you own and do tzedakah or do compassion and mercy towards your, your fellow human being by giving to them and, and helping them with their needs. Make for yourselves purses that don't wear out, riches in heaven that never fail, where no burglar comes near, where no moth destroys. In verse 34, For where your wealth is, there your heart will be also. So that's some very good advice from the Master, that we need to, to uh, care about other people and, and share and care about other people. Very important that you understand that. So, that word sell in the original Greek means to sell. <laughs> so that you have and give alms. Uh, and so God, he really doesn't want you to have a lot of possessions unless you're going to give it to other people. That's what he's really saying, and, and most people just don't get that. But in 1 Timothy, explains this, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to be rich, you should be rich to give to people, not to just take it and keep it for yourself. But unfortunately, most of it, that's why he said that it's very difficult for most rich people to enter the kingdom of God because they want to keep what they have. They don't want to share it. They don't want to, they want to be stingy. and they don't, they don't want to share what they have. First of all, he tells us uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Now true religion does bring great riches. Now true religion. This is the complete Jewish Bible version, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now, true religion, true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. So that's one of the things also that will bring you joy is if you're content with what you already have. Verse 7, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. Now, I know that sounds incredible, but God wants us to be satisfied with just food and clothing. If we got food, if we have clothing, which also involves shelter, then we should be satisfied with that. But, of course, in this country, through television advertising and, and, and other things, uh, we, we are influenced to get, 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 get more clothes, more clothes, more clothes. You know, uh, more clothes than we really need. And then more food. And then on top of that, we're, we're influenced to get more material possessions outside of food and clothing. And in this context, he's talking about food that we need, not food that we want, and then clothes that we need, not clothes that we want, like clothes that we can't afford and we charge it on our credit cards. He's not talking about that. In verse, uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, he says, So if we have food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. Verse 9, Furthermore, those whose goal is to be rich, if your goal is to be rich, and he's talking about selfishly rich here, fall into temptation. They get trapped in many foolish and harmful ambitions, which plunged them into ruin and destruction. I want to underscore this. This is very important for you to understand. And 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Furthermore, those whose goal is to be rich. So if your, your ultimate goal is to be rich so you can keep your riches for yourself and not share it with others, then it states that you will fall into temptation and they get trapped in many foolish and hurtful ambitions which plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all the evils. Because of this craving, some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves to the heart with many pains. And this is how you can bring, this is not how you can bring joy, uh, ladies and gentlemen, by wanting to be rich and keep the money for yourself and just give it to your immediate family and don't care about anyone else. That's, that's not what the purpose of, of uh, wanting to, to make money biblically is for. And this, this word, love of money, means, uh, yeah, love of money, uh, the lust of money, the wrong type of, of uh, sentiment toward it. That's what that's referring to. Yeah, lover of money, and, and you just, oh, it's all you think about. I want to make money, I want to make money, I want to make money, and you, you know, it's the proper way of thinking, well, I want to make $2,000 so I can give $1,000 of that to some shelter home or, or whatever. That's the proper way of thinking if you want to make money. It shouldn't be just for yourself like the rich fool. And let me uh, turn to that here. I keep on talking about the rich fool, and it's in Luke chapter 12. I just love this parable because it just strikes at home what I'm trying to tell you here. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And this is in a complete Jewish Bible version. Luke 12, verse 15. Then to the people he said, Be careful to guard against all forms of greed, because even if someone is rich, his life does not consist in what he owns. Let me underscore that again. In verse uh, Luke 12, verse 15. Then to the people he said, Be careful to guard against all forms of greed, because even if someone is rich, his life does not consist in what he owns. Verse 16 of Luke 12. And he gave them this illustration. There was a man whose land was very productive. He debated within himself, What should I do? I haven't enough room for all my crops. Verse 18, and then you can relate that today to bank accounts and with money in it. Anyway, verse 18. Then he said, This is what I will do. I tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then relating to today can be more bank accounts. And I'll store all my wheat, or today, money, and other goods there. Verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you're a lucky man. You have a big supply of goods laid up that will last many years. Start taking it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. Again, God said to him, you fool. This very night you will die. And the things you prepared... Whose will they be? That's how it is with anyone who stores up wealth for himself without being rich toward God. And what does that mean to be rich toward God? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25 and find out. Matthew chapter 25. Starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, accompanied by all the angels, he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32. The complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake. All the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. The sheep he will place at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, remember there is great pleasure at his right hand, right? Come you whom my father has blessed. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the founding of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you made me your guest. I needed clothes, and you provided them. I was sick. This is pure religion and true religion, ladies and gentlemen. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the people who have done what God wants will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? In verse 38, 
When did we see you a stranger and make you our guest, or needing clothes and provide them? In verse 39, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And in verse 40, the king will say to them, Yes, I tell you that whenever you did these things for one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did them for me. So whenever you do something, anything for anyone, you're doing it to God, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. 55 minutes left. All right, Proverbs 14, verse 21. Proverbs 14, verse uh, 21. Says that he that despises his neighbor's sins, but he that has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So you're very happy when you have mercy on the poor. That's what your Bible says. In the complete Jewish Bible version, it states in Proverbs 14, verse 21, He who despises his fellow sins, but he who shows compassion to the humble is happy. Is happy and has great joy. And has great joy. Okay, so we've gone over three points here. The, the first one, to have true joy, is to focus on Jerusalem and the temple. Number two, repent and obey the Torah of God. Three, be willing to sacrifice and endure problems and persecutions. It's very important to do that. Now, number four, you must enjoy the fruit of your labor. God wants you to enjoy your work. He wants you to um, rejoice at being able to, to get the things that you need. And he'll bless you with your wants, too, if you know how to handle the needs. He will do that. But most people, once they get... A lot of money, they go out of their minds. You know, a lot of people do it. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 18. This is what I have seen to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat drink and enjoy the good that results from all his work that he engages in under the sun for all the days of his life that God has given him. For this is his allotted portion. Verse 19 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Also, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, along with the power to enjoy, so that he takes his allotted portion and finds pleasure in his work, this is a gift of God. Verse 20. For he will not brood over the fact that his life is short, since God keeps him occupied with what will bring him joy. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of your labor. God wants you to do that, but he wants you to obey him while you're doing it. In John 10, verse 10, one of the reasons why Yeshua Messiah came to this earth is so that we can live life and that we can have it more abundantly. In the complete Jewish Bible version, it, says, it states this, The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy I have come so that they may have life, and not only have life, but have life in its fullest measure. That, that's the translation uh, that I think is a lot better than the King James in this instance here. Uh, he wants us to have life in its fullest measure. 
including the opportunity for immortality. That's why he came. But he wants us to enjoy this life, too. Not just wait to, to, to turn into an immortal being. And he wants us to do that. And, and the way to do that is to obey God and to focus on Jerusalem and, and be willing to sacrifice and endure problems and persecutions and, and, and count it all joy when you do. Even when people put you down, and I deal with that a lot. You know, people put me down and, and talk bad about me, and I'm learning how to count that joy. And I'm happy because I know my reward is going to be great if I endure it. I'm going to, <laughs> my reward is going to be very, very, very great indeed. You know, so that that's what helps me deal with it. As uh, Hebrews, uh, I'm remembering a scripture here. far as, uh, you know, enduring uh, temptations and so forth. Actually, it's 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the first epistle. Okay, yeah, first epistle, uh, chapter 2. Of Peter. These scriptures is popping in my mind here to add on to this Bible study and make it even better than what it is. First Peter chapter two in the complete Jewish Bible version. And starting in verse sixteen, it states Verse 15, it states, uh, For it is God's will that your doing good should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Submit as people who are free. But let me go to the context here. All right, First Peter 2, verse 13. It says, For the sake of the Lord, submit yourself, and this is for the sake of the Lord, submit yourself to every human authority, whether to the emperor or being supreme, or to governors as being sent by him to punish wrongdoers and praise those who do what is good. Verse 15, For it is God's will that your doing good should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 16, Submit as people who are free, but not letting your freedom serve as an excuse for evil. Rather, submit as God's um, slaves or God's servants. Verse 17, Be respectful to all. Keep loving the brotherhood, fearing God and honoring the emperor. Verse 18, Household servants, submit yourself to your masters, showing them full respect, and not only those who are kind and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Verse 19, for it is a grace when someone, because he is mindful of God, bears up under the pain of undeserved punishment. Let me underscore that. Verse 19, for it is a grace when someone, because he is mindful of God, bears up under the pain of undeserved punishment. Verse 20, for what credit is there in bearing up under a beating, you deserve for doing something wrong. But if you bear up under punishment, even though you have done what is right, God looks on it with favor. He looks on it with favor. Verse 21, indeed, this is what you were called to do, because the Messiah too suffered on your behalf, leaving an example so that you should follow in his steps, the steps of suffering. Uh, we need to follow his steps in, in reference to uh, suffering. Verse 22, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found on his lips, so he did not transgress, transgress the law, neither should we. Verse 23, when he was insulted, he didn't retaliate with insults. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but handed them over to him who judges righteously, or judges justly. 
Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the stake so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Verse 25, for you used to be like sheep gone astray, but now you have turned to the shepherd who watches over you. So we must be willing again to endure suffering to have true joy, ladies and gentlemen. We need to count it all joy when we suffer. Count it all joy when we suffer. I know that's hard, but with God's Holy Spirit in you, which you'll only get if you start obeying him, it will be easier to do. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, starting at verse 23. It says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, of course, what you ask has to be something that he would approve of. You can't ask God, Well, I would like to blow up... Uh, uh, Russia, uh, <laughs> he's not going to give you that request, but it has to be something, of course, within his law. Verse 24, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. And in his name, of course, means that something, of course, that he would approve of. You, you must ask about those type of things. You can't ask for wickedness. He's not going to give you wickedness. All right, so the first four that we've covered here, Number one, focus on Jerusalem and the temple as far as how to have true joy. Two, repent and obey the Torah of God. Number three, be willing to sacrifice and endure problems and persecutions. Number four, enjoy the fruit of your labor. Number five, music and singing, which is a very interesting part here. Let me go over this. I've got 46 minutes left. I'm going to have to really speed this up here because <clears throat> I want to go over how we can purify our minds. All right, Revelation chapter 5. Verse 7 and 9. Revelation 5, verses 7 to 9 states this. It says, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, which is a musical instrument, and golden vows full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. So I, I just wanted to point this out because God, he obviously likes music, and he loves to hear people sing by his throne. Uh, Revelation chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Actually, let me start in verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last place, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Verse 2, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, that's part of God's throne. How do I know that? Let me turn to Revelation chapter 4 to prove this to you. Verse uh, 5. Of Revelation 4, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto a crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes and before and behind. So that's how I know when I see the sea of glass, the, the throne of God is close near the uh, sea of, of glass. Anyway, in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 15, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten a victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, and 
They stand on a sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So these people are singing. These spiritual saints resurrected at this time in heaven are praising God by his throne. In uh, Revelation chapter 14, starting at verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on a Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, playing musical instruments. Verse 3, And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders and no man can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So they were, again, singing before God's throne. That's something that God enjoys, obviously. And if God enjoys something, obviously, since we're made in his image, uh, we would enjoy it as well. Uh, let me turn to Matthew here, a case where the angels were singing. Matthew 3, verse 11. And I'm trying to find that part when the angels were singing. I think it's in Luke. find it here somewhere. If it's not in Matthew, I know it's in Luke. Yeah, I think it's in Luke. Let me go to Luke here. Luke chapter... Right here, I'll just quote some things here that I'm seeing already. In uh, Luke chapter 1, it says um, in verse 13, And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor sorrow drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and to disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he was in partial fulfillment of that prophecy in Malachi, uh, the fourth chapter that I, um, I have a um, dramatic version of that with music that ends this program all the time to emphasize the fact of uh, this Elijah to come, and also the fact that we must obey the law of God, which is the law of Moses. All right, I'm still looking for the angels here. Let's see if I can't find it. I'll just find it some other time here, but let me see here. 
Okay, right here, here's another angel. In verse 9, it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were afraid. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for behold, this is in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them in heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which is to come to pass. In other words, I thought they were singing, but they were just praising. But still, the context is joy. They were having great joy that a Savior was born to, to save humanity. The angels had great joy about that. So I just wanted to focus on that. Okay. How many more minutes I have left here? 38 minutes. All right, First Samuel chapter 16. How does music and singing bring joy to us? That's that's what we're focusing on right now. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14. It says, "But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him." Verse 15. And Saul's servant said unto him, "Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubles thee." Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing in a mighty valiant man, and a man of war and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. That is uh, worth reading in the complete Jewish Bible version to, to help you to kind of understand the kind of people that we need to be. Uh, we don't need to, you know, as far as women, they don't need to be women of war, but uh, like a man, but uh, still the same thing applies here, most of it, to a woman as well. First Samuel chapter 16 starting uh, in verse 14 in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, Now the spirit of Adonai, or the Lord, had left Shual, that's uh, um, Saul, Saul's name in Hebrew, and also that's uh, Paul's name in Hebrew, Shual. Instead, an evil spirit from Adonai would suddenly come over him. Shual's servant said to him, Do you notice that there is an evil spirit from God that suddenly comes over you now? I think in, a, in, in the previous chapter, uh, Samuel has stated that... Uh, Saul would lose his kingdom, and certainly after that, of course, obviously what must have happened is that the Spirit of God left him because he disobeyed him. And that's what will happen to you, ladies and gentlemen, or to me, if, if we don't obey God, what will happen is that he'll take away his Holy Spirit from us, and then we'll start to feel miserable and we won't be happy. And so we don't want that to happen. So anyway, like, like it happened to Saul. So anyway, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, now the spirit of Adonai had left Shual. Instead, an evil spirit from Adonai would suddenly come over him. Shual's servant said to him, 
do you notice that there's an evil spirit from God that suddenly comes over you? Verse 16, and then this is in the complete Jewish Bible version. Let our Lord now command your servants who are here with you to look for a man who knows how to play the liar. Then if the evil spirit from God comes over you, he will play and it will do you good. Verse 17, Shaul said to his servants, find me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, here, I've seen one of the sons of Yishi, the Bet-Lamchi, who knows how to play. He's a brave soldier. He can fight, he chooses his words carefully, and he's pleasant-looking. Besides, the Lord is with him. So Shual sent messengers to Yashi, or Jesse, saying, Send me David, your son, who is out with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and kid, and sent them with David to his son Shual, or Saul. And verse 21, David came to Saul and presented himself to him, and Saul took a great liking to him and made him his armor-bearer. And Saul sent a message to Jesse, Please let David stay in my service, because I'm pleased with him. Verse 23, So it was that whenever the evil spirit from God came over Saul, David would take the lyre and play it, with the result that uh, Saul would find relief and feel better as the evil spirit left him. So this is very important. Music, if you feel disturbed, if you feel troubled, if you feel pressured, or uh, even if you don't have a demon messing with you, but... If you feel that you're getting ready to, to be tempted to do wickedness or evil, it's good to listen to nice music. I'm not talking about MTV music or BET music, but I'm talking or rock music. I'm talking about nice, soft music, the kind of music that's indicated here by playing the lyre or the lyre. And, and um, real soft music uh, like uh, jazz or um, classical music or new age music that I listen to on shoutcast.com, www.shoutcast.com. You can go over to the new age section and click meditation. I listen to music that helps me think, that helps me to meditate on things. And, and uh, it really helps me uh, be able to focus on God. And when I'm under going, a lot, going under a lot of trials and, and pressures of life, it really helps, and I can I can definitely relate to, to this this verse, not because I have an evil spirit in me, but because of the fact that it does give you relief and makes you feel better when you listen to nice music, and it brings joy to you as well, as I'm going to prove to you. But one of the things I wanted to, to read too about what music can do for you, uh, this is in the uh, the book called The Mozart Effect, M O Z A R T Effect, E F F E C T. Tapping the Power of Music to Heal the Body, Strengthen the Mind, and Unlock the Creative Spirit. This is by Don Campbell. I would recommend everyone get this book on page 23 of this book. Well, I'm going to quote this on page 22. It says, As a substitute for an absent parent, Mozart's music produces the best effects. Mozart is a very good mother. That's one of the, uh, the greatest composers of all time, uh, Mozart, by the way. And it's on page 22. It says, As a substitute for an absent parent, Mozart's music produces the best effects. Mozart is a very good mother, Dr. Uh, Tomatis declares. Throughout 50 years of clinical and experimental process, I have voluntarily chosen one composer and only one. I continue to test new forms of music and one of the used forms of chanting folk music classical, but the powers of Mozart, especially the violin concertos, especially the violin concertos, create the greatest healing effect on the human body. And I believe that what 
David was playing was that. Let me see. Um, I guess a harp is could, could be something of the form of a um, a violin. Let me take a look here. Yeah, I'm not a musical guy. You know, I I can sing, but as far as playing instruments, the only instrument I think I can play is a piano. I'll be right back. I just had to get my dictionary here. I'm not going to wait until the online dictionary come up. Well, a harp is a musical instrument consisting of a triangular frame set with strings plucked by the fingers. So that's what a harp looks like. And I think a violin, I don't know, I think it's a little different from a violin. Yes, it's different from a violin. But both play when you play the instruments, they do play pleasant music. That's the point I was trying to make. So, about that. So anyway, getting back to the quote I was making here. And on page 23, page 23 of this, let me fix my headset here. Okay, so page 23 of this book, uh, The Mozart Effect, States, in 1962, Dr. Lee Salk demonstrated that the fetus is aware of the mother's heartbeat. Today's embryologists agree that the ear is the first organ to develop an embryo, that it becomes functional only, I mean, after only 18 weeks, and that it listens actively from 24 weeks on. In The Secret Life of the Unborn Child, Dr. Thomas Burney tells the story of Boris Brott, conductor of the Hamilton Philharmonic, Philharmonic Orchestra in Ontario. Over the years, Brat was puzzled at how he could play some music by ear while he had to labor to master most pieces. He later learned from his mother that she had played the selections that came to him effortlessly while pregnant. In his book, Verney also cites recent scientific experiments showing the fetuses preferred Mozart and Vivaldi to other composers in early as well as later stages of pregnancy. Fetal heart rates invariably studied and kicking declined, while other music, especially rock, drove most fetuses to distraction, and they kicked violently when it was played to their pregnant mothers. So that tells you how music can affect even babies. And, of course, if it affects babies this way, it will affect anyone else. So so I just wanted to, to point that out to you, how music, whether good music or bad music, can affect your mind and cause you to be happy or unhappy, depending on what type of music you listen to. Okay, and in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, states this. It says, And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. So music is a very important part of 
having joy, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I'm just trying to stress this because it needs to be stressed. Colossians 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching you and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. So we should be... Uh, we should... Uh, obtain music to help us do this. Uh, I listen to Messianic music. Uh, I do listen to some Jewish music. Um, I also listen to Mozart and and jazz. And I listen specifically and particularly music that points me to God, that talks about God, that talks about Jerusalem, talks about Yeshua, talks about uh, all kinds of, uh, of things that's related to the Bible and to the Jewish people. That, that's what I That's what I listen to the most. And of course, I listen to meditation music when I'm working, and then when I'm when I'm praying or talking to God, those things bring great joy to me. But all this other music, uh, Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna and all that, that that's that's music that's not going to really bring joy to you. You may bring pleasure listening to that music, but that that type of music will not ultimately bring you joy that's going to last. Okay, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody your heart to the Lord. You know, the book of Psalms is really are, are musical um, writings. That's what it is, basically, the book of Psalms. And David and Solomon were very talented in writing music, and, and many of their psalms are in the book of Psalms. James chapter 5. Matter of fact, I know of this one company that sells um, a, a CD that has many of the Psalms, the Psalms, uh, you know, the book of Psalms, that have it uh, composed and, and they actually have music based on the Psalm. And it's very, very beautiful. It really is. If you're interested in that, I can email you the website so you can get the. Uh, I'm giving them a plug here. I think it's Hebrew for Christians, number four, HebrewforChristians.com. He actually sells uh, this music. I'm going to get this music eventually. I've heard samples of it, and I haven't gotten around to getting it, but I want to get it because it's some very beautiful music, and it's all based on the book of Psalms. It's really beautiful. James 5, verse 13. It says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So if you're happy, you should sing psalms or listen to them and sing them in your mind and sing them out loud, too. There's nothing wrong with that. First Kings. And praise the Lord. First Kings, chapter 1, verse 40. It says, And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Boy, these people were so happy <laughs> that the whole earth rent with the sound of them. That's what it said. You know, and they were using music to do this. So that that's the incredible thing about it. First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter fifteen. First Chronicles chapter fifteen, verse sixteen. It says, And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So I tell you, music is very important, ladies and gentlemen. In reference to having joy. 
First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9. And also, music is, is, is a medicine, really, to, to, to heal the body and, and heal your mind. And you listen to the right type. First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9. It says, Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. When you give, that brings joy. That brings joy to God, and it brings joy to you, because God gives you his joy. And when you give and do things his way, it's going to bring you so much joy, you're not going to be able to, to uh, well, you'll be able to deal with it, but you'll just be a, you know, it's like when you drink a, uh, something that uh, is carbonated, it's just overflowing with joy. That's, that's, that's what you will be, basically. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 17. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and has pleasure in uprightness. As for me, so God has pleasure in you being right or upright. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present, with, present here, to offer willingly unto thee. So when you offer willingly, not by force, but willingly, that automatically brings joy to you and to God. Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, starting in verse 2. It says, And there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is... Oops. Is this the right... Oh, Ezra 6, verse 22. I'm sorry. Ezra 6, verse 22. And kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful, and turned the heart of the king of Isaiah unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of, the, of God, the God of Israel. So again, God gave them joy because they were obeying one of his feast days. So he gave them joy. So God, he's the one that gives us ultimate joy and happiness. And this is another proof of that. Now, let's get to, in the remaining minutes that I have here, 21, Let's get to how we can purify our minds here. Because this is very important. How to purify our minds. There's a lot of scriptures here. I don't think I'm going to be able to, I have to just highlight, uh, let's see, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 26. It says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. So if you're, if you're thinking wicked, God is, he doesn't want to even know those kind of thoughts. That's what he's saying. Proverbs 24, verse 29. Proverbs 24, verse 9. It says, The thought of foolishness is sin. So if you think of, if you even think of foolishness, is sin, according to God. And a scorter is an abomination to men. So you've got to be very careful about thinking foolish. Because it's sin. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 18 and 19. It says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands do, don't, do not defile a man. Now, what does it mean to defile a man? Let's, let's take a closer look at that. Matthew chapter 15. The word means kono-o in Greek, and it means to pollute. 
So we will pollute ourselves and our minds by doing wickedness, ladies and gentlemen. That's what that's saying. In James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8 states this. It says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, again, you have to obey God to, to purify your mind. In Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So he was very important, David, to, to keep the law in his mind so that he wouldn't sin against God. And that's what we need to do as well. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 97 to 105. says, and we need to have this attitude about the law. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. In other words, he thinks about the law all day. And you say, well, that's not possible. Well, yes, it is, because most people think about filth all day. They think about their their, their movies, um, their television, favorite television programs. Uh, people spend two hours and 40 minutes to look at the Avatar. They can easily spend two hours and 40 minutes Bible studying. Um, people spend at least over four hours a day looking at television, and most of the programs are totally worthless. You can do that spending four hours praying, perhaps fasting, doing Bible study, or, or helping somebody within that time. So, you know, there's no excuse. We can do what David says here in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You can do that. God will never put something in here that you cannot do. Verse 98. Thou through thy commandments have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Verse 99 of Psalm 119. I have more understanding than all my teachers. You have more understanding than all your teachers if you take the word of God seriously and study it. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I, you even understand more than the ancients. That's what he says here. Because you are obeying and keeping his precepts. 101, I have refrained my feet from every evil way. So David, he progressed here after the sin of Bathsheba to, to get to a point where he has refrained his feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. Verse 102, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And that is a real higher plane there, but you can reach that if you start to delight in the word of God. 104, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You have to hate every false way, and you have to uh, refrain your feet from every evil way. Not somewhat evil ways, but all evil ways. You have to do it 100%. God's not going to accept 99%. He's going to accept 100%. 100%. And then ultimately he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God should show you how to live and show you how to act. That's, that's just the way it is. That's what brings true joy to you. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 21 states, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Let me... Uh, read this in an easier version here. 
James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, So rid yourselves, in the complete Jewish Bible version, so rid yourself of all vulgarity and obvious evil, and receive meekly the word implanted in you that can save your lives. And he says, don't deceive yourselves by only hearing what the word says, but do it. Just do it. It's like that Nike commercial. Just do it. I don't see that commercial too often anymore, but I remember it to this day. It was a good commercial. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 18 states this. Well, let me get down to, because uh, we're running out of time here. First John. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 1 to 3. It states, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, <clears throat> and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to see the Father and the Son as they are. And every man that has his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So we, we, must, we should have the hope of wanting to see the Father and the Son. If we have that hope, the Bible tells us that we purify ourselves by having that hope, that hope of, of being in his presence. That's what will ultimately purify our minds as well. If we think about that constantly, of being around God, I know I do, I think about... Wanting to, I, I want to be around him, and I think about it on a consistent basis all day. I think about being in his presence and being around him because there's great, uh, pre, uh, this great joy in his presence, as one scripture states. And I want to be in his presence. And spiritually, I know I am, but physically, I'm not. But spiritually, I'm there because he lives in me, and uh, he will live in you. He will live in you if you obey him. So that, that's very important to understand there. And I'm looking up that word purify here. Yeah, it means, uh, it's hagnizo in the Greek. It, may, it means to, to make clean, to, to sanctify. So that's how you, one of the ways you sanctify yourself also is by thinking of being in God's presence and being like him. That purifies it. That should purify us and really bring joy to our minds by thinking that way. So we have to learn how to be content with what we have. And I've stressed that already. And we also, I did cover this in the Bible, says we shouldn't be lazy. We should not be weary of well-doing. We shouldn't be weary of well-doing at all. And we must learn how to, in Philippians chapter uh, 4, how many minutes I have left here? 12 minutes, okay. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11 states, Now that I speak in respect of want, not that I speak in respect of want, colon, continue that, for I have learned in whatever state I am, therefore to be content. So when, in whatever state we are, we have to learn how to be content. We can't be agitated. I don't have this. I don't have that. I mean, I've been guilty of that, and I'm sure you have too. 
But we have to all learn how to stop all that and stop complaining and just be content with our situation. Be content and realize that, hey, there's people that have gone through worse than, look, those poor hoardy, uh, those poor Haiti, not hoardy, those, those poor Haitian people, which is our, you know, our brothers and sisters because we all come from one blood. They're, they're, they're suffering tremendously. And I'm not going through the, the kind of suffering that they have to go through. I don't drink dirty water. You know, I, it's not difficult for me to get any kind of food or clothes. And they're going through far worse than most Americans. Even poor Americans are richer than, than poor Haitians. So we need to be appreciative of what we have. And we need to learn how to be content. And they, you know what? They know how to be more content than we do. And they don't have nothing, hardly. And yet they know how to be content. Shame on us. Shame on us collectively as a nation. So, you know, we have to learn, there's many other scriptures I want to quote here, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 states, uh, verse 16, rather, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, it says, For who have known the mind of the Lord but that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we should have the mind of Christ. Uh, Christ should be living in us, based on Galatians 2, verse 20, spiritually. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I have about 10 minutes left here. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5 is a very, very important scripture, ladies and gentlemen. It states, and I'm going to complete this in the complete Jewish Bible version, then reading the King James. It says, In every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, we take every thought captive and make it obey the Messiah. So we should take every thought captive and make it to obey the Messiah. So that, that's what we must do. And then read this in the King James Version. It says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that's what we need to do to be truly happy and joyful. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, says, Not everyone that has said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thine Name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So we have to be very careful to do the works of God and, and not be phony about it. Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, Keep thy mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So we need to, to keep a guard on our minds and, and, and make sure that we are Uh, guarding what we see in Psalm 101, verse 3. I covered this last week. I'll cover it again here real quickly. Psalm 101, verse 3 states, uh, I was set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside shall, shall not cleave to me. It shall not cleave to me. So we, we must be very careful about what we allow ourselves to look at. The Bible confirms this. Um, I wanted to 
turn to some other scriptures here. Well, say Colossians 1, verse 10. times a few minutes left here. Colossians 1 verse 10. How many more minutes I have left? Uh, seven minutes. Colossians 1 verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's what we need to do. And Colossians 3, if you study that chapter, is a very good chapter to study in reference to having the right attitude toward God so that you can have true joy. And Second Timothy 1 verse 7 states, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Of a sound mind. And we must live by every word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew 4 verse 4 says, Man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that's what we must do. And then 1 John 2. 1 John 2, starting in verse 3 to 4, states, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So if you keep God's commandments, you know him. In verse 4, he says, He that says, I know him, and keep him not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, But whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Okay. And let me quote some other, I wanted to quote something from the, Apocrypha here, which are Jewish writings that have some wisdom. They're not official canon or scripture, but nonetheless, there is some um, some good things in here to to review here. Wisdom one verse three it says, "For four thoughts separate from God, and His power, when it is tried, reprove the unwise." So this is in wisdom in the Apocrypha, uh, chapter one verse three. For four thoughts separate from God. And his power, when it is tried, reproved the unwise. So your, your thoughts separate you from God. It's definitely biblically accurate there, that uh, particular writing there in, in wisdom. Then verse 5 of wisdom. For the Holy Spirit of discipline will flee deceit or trickery and remove from thoughts that are without understanding and will not abide when unrighteousness come in. And this is true again, biblically. It says, for the Holy Spirit of discipline... And that's what you have, the Holy Spirit of discipline, of, of, of a sound mind. For the Holy Spirit of discipline will flee deceit. So if you trick yourself, the Holy Spirit is going to flee you. If, if you want to deceive yourself, then the Holy Spirit is not going to want to dwell with someone who's tricking himself or deceiving himself. So it says, for the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit of discipline will flee deceit and remove from thoughts that are without understanding and will not abide when unrighteousness comes in. And in verse 6 of wisdom, so for wisdom is a loving spirit and will not acquit a blasphemer for, of his words, for God is witness of his reigns and a true beholder of his heart and a hearer of the tongue. And then in verse 7 of wisdom, it says, For the Spirit of the Lord fills the world, and that which contain of all things have knowledge of the voice. Very interesting uh, passage of writing there. And wisdom. And wisdom chapter 2. Oh, yeah, I wanted to get to this here. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I've been waiting to get to this one right here. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to read all this. It says, uh, For the ungodly saith, i got, uh, yeah, four minutes. I should be able to read this in four minutes. It says, For the ungodly says, reasoning with themselves, but not outright, 
Our life is short and tedious, and in the death of a man there is no remedy. Neither was there any man known to have returned from the grave. This is in Wisdom chapter 2. For we are born at all adventure, and we shall be hereafter as though we have never been. For the breath in our nostrils is a smoke and a little spark in the moving of our heart, which being extinguished, our body shall be turned into ashes, and our spirit shall vanish as the soft air. And our name shall be forgotten in time, and no man shall have our works in remembrance, and our life shall pass away as a trace of a cloud, and shall be dispersed as a mist that is driven away with the beams of the sun and overcome with the heat of the earth. For our time is a very shadow that passes away, and after our end there is no returning, for it is fast sealed, so that no man cometh again. Come on, therefore, let us enjoy the good things that are present, and let us speedily use the creatures like as in youth. Let us fill ourselves with costly wine and ointments, and let no flower of the spring pass by us. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they be withered. Got uh, three minutes left here. Verse 9 of Wisdom, chapter 2. Let none of us go without his part of our... Let, 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 let none of us go without his part. Let us leave tokens of our joyfulness in every place, for this is our portion and our lot is this. Let us oppress the poor righteous man. Let us not spare the widow, nor reverence the ancient gray hairs of the age. Let our strength be the law of justice, for that which is feeble is found to be nothing worth. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous, because he is not for our turn, and he is clean contrary to our doings. He upbraideth us with our offending the law and objective to our infamy, the transgressions of our education. He professes to have the knowledge of God, and he calleth himself the child of the Lord. He was made to reprove our thoughts. So a righteous person is made to correct an unrighteous person's thoughts. That's what Wisdom 2 verse 14 is, states here. Verse 15, he is grievous unto us even to behold, for his life is not like other men's. His ways are of another fashion. We are esteemed of him as counterfeits. He abstains from our ways as from filthiness. He pronounces the end of the just to be blessed and maketh his boast that God is his father. Let us see if his words be true, and let us prove what shall happen in the end of him. For if the just man be the son of God, he will help him and deliver him from the hand of his enemies. That's true. Let us examine him with despitefulness and torture, that we may know his meekness and prove his patience. Let us condemn him with a shameful death, for by his own saying he shall be respected. Such things they did imagine, this is the wicked, in verse 21 of wisdom, and were deceived, or tricked, for their own wickedness had blinded them. Verse 22, as for the mysteries of God, they knew them not, neither hoped they for the wages of righteousness, nor discern a reward for blameless souls. For God created man to be immortal, and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Verse 24, nevertheless, through envy of the devil, nevertheless, through envy of the devil came death into the world, and they that do hold of his side do find it. So that's, that's some words of wisdom there from the book of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. Let's learn how to be happy. Let's learn how to have joy, true joy, and I'll speak to you next week. May God bless you and keep you. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. 
and ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.